0: And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome
1: back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Mike Hancocks, and with me is my co-host, Kate Meese, the Executive Director of the Local Government Commission. Kate, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be back. We're recording today's podcast in the wake of this past weekend's tragedy in Charlottesville, Virginia which is where Skio, my main office, is located, and we're really grateful that our colleagues and families are safe, and our prayers and thoughts go out to all those affected by the events of this weekend, but it it makes our topic today, civic engagement, very timely. Our guest today is Mindy Ramiro, the founder and director of the California Civic Engagement Project, a nonpartisan civic engagement research and outreach initiative for the state of California, which is hosted at the UC Davis Center for Regional Change. Mindy, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm so pleased to have Mindy with us because, as you said, it's a it's a very important topic generally and a, a very timely one to be discussing now. And Mindy brings so much um rich background to this conversation as a political sociologist whose research is focused on political behavior and race and ethnicity. And really seeking to explain patterns of political underrepresentation. So really looking forward to to hearing your thoughts on where we're at generally and some reflection on the, the recent events as well. But maybe just to get us started, I'm really curious to hear, Mindy, your thoughts on where we're at coming out of the presidential election. It, to me, seemed to really motivate the involvement of a lot of people that haven't been traditionally as heavily involved in politics, both on the left from the the Bernie supporter side. Uh, it seemed like there was a, a big increase in millennials and younger voters that were getting really engaged and excited around Bernie Sanders, and then also on the right around Trump and some of the backers that he brought out into the conversation as well. So what are your thoughts on what we've seen through the the campaign and now Um, under the new administration? Do you think that we're experiencing a resurgence of civic engagement and how do we sustain
3: that if we indeed are? I think there's been a lot of discussion on this topic and a lot of folks are really hopeful that we are seeing a resurgence of some sort. And I think a lot of those conversations are tied to expectations around 2018 and 2020 when it comes to the presidential race, but also local races. I think if we step back, though. We do see a lot of folks engaging in types of activities that seem to be more uh, in the public realm, right? We're talking about it. We're seeing on TV. We're seeing protesting. We're seeing marching. We're seeing a, a lot of groups forming um, at the local level. A lot of it, again, concerned about what's happening at the presidential level. I think, though, we don't really have data to tell us how widespread this is. We see this activity, we see it getting a lot of press play, we see a lot of media, we see a lot of hope and expectation around it. But I don't want to sound like the, the negative person here, but I think we don't really know in the big picture what those numbers really look like. And I think it's important, no matter what the numbers actually look like, the fact that we're having these conversations, the fact that we are bringing more awareness to the importance of engagement, period. No matter, by the way, what side you fall on, we're seeing engagement on all ends, I think, of the political spectrum. I think when it comes to looking at our history, we know that not just in terms of voting, but in other forms of political engagement and civic engagement, that participation is low. We have some of the lowest turnout rates in the world. And if we look at some of the kind of standard measures of engagement, you know, protesting or sending money to campaigns or writing to your congressperson or joining a board or a commission or that sort of thing, participation is really low and it's really uneven across um, subgroups of the population. Those of color and those that are young participate even less. So it's going to be very difficult to change those patterns. Those are entrenched and those are really unfortunately tied to the, our history in the United States. And so... Hopefully we are seeing a resurgence in terms of real numbers. I think this, no matter what though, is a time and an opportunity to increase the numbers, period. So whatever the numbers are right now, we have people talking about the importance of getting engaged. I think we can build on that. We can educate, we can inform, we can rally, we can talk to our young people. Um, We can turn whatever numbers are actually happening into something that's even more significant. But the key to that is that we don't rest, so to speak, on what we're seeing now. The assumption that, we're, that there is this resurgence, that there is so much activity that's happening, might lead us to not fully take advantage of that, right? We need not to be okay with that. We need to say that's not enough. And we need to continue to push for more engagement and more representative engagement. So hopefully that answers your question.
2: It does. And I'm wondering, as we think about how to not rest, as you said, and how to build on the engagement that we are seeing. One of the things that especially working with local governments and in communities across the state and the nation, I've been struck by the fact that there's been so much engagement, as you said, um, a lot of it as a result of what's playing out at the national level. But it's interesting to me to see that we, that doesn't necessarily translate into increased engagement at the local level, where a lot of these same discussions happen around public health and healthcare and even immigration policy, housing, infrastructure investments. These conversations happen at the local level in a way that for many people can be more tangible. And I'm wondering if you see an opportunity to translate that momentum locally and if perhaps that is part of the key to how we get some of these groups that have traditionally been less
3: engaged, more engaged um, in the civic process? I would say that the local level is absolutely critical. Much of what we're seeing now as it, as it is focused, um, not all of it, but as, as it is much of it focused at the national level, is also still very remote to a lot of people. There is just a, a huge segment of the population that probably will never really feel very connected. They may get upset, they may be interested, they may watch the news, but it's difficult for them to understand how their daily lives, right? And the lives of their families and their communities is connected to even the presidency. It is very much, right? Or who runs Congress. And so that does seem remote and distant and maybe a insurmountable hill to climb for many people. But at the local, that's where you can make the case, right? To people that if they're worried about how their family is doing, right? Their economic well being, the quality of their water, um, as you said, affordable housing. These decisions are made, are influenced by the federal level, certainly at the state level, but very much at the local level. And you can create that narrative to really show people what that connection is and how voting, participating, um, having a voice, speaking up at the local level can actually have a real, tangible, visible, immediate effect and people's everyday lives. So I think the locals always have been absolutely critical. And now, probably even more than ever, we want to make sure that that doesn't get lost because as people may be upset or happy about what they see happening in this country, they may still wonder, how can I connect at the federal level? But you can, you can, we can tap that interest and concern or attention even that people are, are paying and move it right to the local level and maybe actually help people to take action that might not have normally actually tangibly gotten involved if they didn't have local pathways to do that.
2: Thinking about creating local pathways, one of the challenges that we've seen is that in many communities, the local policymakers aren't necessarily reflective of the demographics of the communities they serve. So I'm wondering if you see that as part of the challenge in building trust with those communities and and really establishing a foundation for broader engagement and partnership in improving communities and addressing existing challenges.
3: It is. I think um, when we think about our local elected officials and policymakers representing us, First and foremost, if you're elected, it doesn't really matter, right? once you've once you've been elected, it's not about who voted for you. It's you are actually responsible for uh, paying attention to the needs and wants and desires of all the people that are in your district, all the people that you formally represent, all of your constituents, whether they voted for you or not. At the same time, we know that there are barriers and and not every uh, elected official can or does pay attention to everybody in their district. On the flip side, though, for residents of a district, and particularly in a diverse state like this, there are many, many communities that have been historically marginalized and who feel disconnected from the local political process, political process period, but particularly the local political process that um, haven't seen elected officials um, in their communities, don't see elected officials that um, appear to represent them and again, you don't have to be of the same race or background, right, to actually formally represent someone. But if you're in a community of color, a marginalized community, having folks that share your background does say something to community members. It says that these folks know where I came from, understand the needs and uh, concerns of my community, local, local, right, community representation really, really matters. And I think... One of the reasons why we don't see as much participation from communities of color and low-income communities in our state is because the local and state and beyond, but the the political process around them hasn't always included them, has not reached out to them. Everybody has to have outreach, right, to, to be mobilized. And so for some communities, maybe even just the opposite, they've actually felt ex- excluded and not welcomed and maybe even deliberately not Pursued. And I think that's something that if we want to increase participation in California, we have to really understand that, maybe own it, for lack of a better word right now, create strategies around bringing communities of color and low income communities into the local decision making process, making them feel welcomed and creating pathways that make sense for those communities, right? The other thing about all of this is that many of our local decision-making structures are not necessarily all that friendly to the communities. And I mean friendly in the way that they're designed to the communities um, that they're supposed to serve. And I think particularly for historically marginalized communities, underrepresented communities, some of our formal structures somewhat can be intimidating, can seem unwelcoming by design even kind of separate of whether they're reached out to or not and i think we need to recognize this and look for not only trying to pull folks into our current systems but also look for other types of pathways or even modify our current systems to be more in a structural way more welcoming and then of course have the people that work within them to be more welcoming and more inclusive with you know everyone in in their greater community
2: have you seen strategies where communities have attempted to create more accessible pathways. I'm just wondering if you could dig in a little bit to give people an idea of what that might look like in a community. That's a great question.
3: You know, when I think about this, I I actually think about young people first. I think about even our local school systems. Typically, the type of recognized, formally recognized kind of pathways for young people to get involved are things like leadership class or uh, student body government those sorts of things. And if a young person wants to get involved, there's usually some sort of barrier, right? There's some sort of entry that they have to, some sort of requirement that they have to kind of pass to be able to deem worthy or appropriate for a leadership class. Certainly an entry into student body government, grades, and, and if there's voting, voting of your peers and that sort of thing. But there are A huge number of young people on any given campus that cares very much about their school, very much about their community, very much about their peers, and would probably want to get involved or do want to get involved, but there aren't pathways for them to do that. And so when you have teachers or principals or even school districts that create programs that are more inclusive, that are broader, that ask, that only reach out to young people to be involved, but actually change some of the requirements to participation. That kind of open it up in a very real way, and not only provide this opportunity for young people to get involved, but also provide real mechanisms for them to be part of the decision-making process. Not just okay, you can have this group, but we actually are going to set this up where we're going to we're going to hear from you, and we have to be accountable to you. Those can be really successful when young people feel that they are welcomed, that their voice matters, and that they actually can get something done, that the principal or the school district is actually going to listen and is accountable to that, that can be really successful. And I think at a city council level, you know, programs along that line where you open things up to young people, let them talk about issues that they care about, whether it's local environmental issues or skate park or whatever it might be, where instead of maybe just at times discouraging young people from speaking, actually creating a, a communication line to the schools and to young people and not only send signals, but actually create structures that, that they can communicate with local officials. Sometimes that means having representation on the council, having a youth representative on a council. Um, and sometimes that means creating a new committee that young people are, so it's part of the system, but it's a committee that works with young people in the way that, you know, their schedules work and the way that they want to manage that committee that makes sense for them, that they have a pathway to the city council. The bottom line is talking to communities, whatever groups you're you're wanting to reach out to, not make assumptions about what makes sense for them, opening the process up To bend to communities um, in terms of what they need, what works for them, as opposed to what often happens is asking communities, right, to bend towards the structure that's already in place. And then having real mechanisms for accountability, because you can welcome a community in, and then if there isn't anything that's actually going to, the community perceives is going to happen or come from that, if they feel like it's just a tokenism thing or a check the box thing, um, that can make it much harder, right, to continue that, but also to, to do other kinds of programs like that. So if you can show accountability and track success, um, that also helps build trust. And I think probably underlying all of this is really trust. Building trust is absolutely key, whether you're talking about young people in schools, whether you're talking about a city council, whether you're talking about whatever state level government program, state or local, people have to know that their voices are really are wanted, that they're going to be listened to, that they're not going to waste their time, that they're not actually maybe even supporting something that's just about checking the box, right? That their time actually matters and that there's going to be follow-up. And again, that there's actually going to be some real tracking and accountability that they can come back again and say, hey, you asked for our input or our support and we don't see this. What are you going to do about it? And really thinking about the long-term, not just about one issue that you want to get input on. But again, creating those relationships and those pathways over time that can be flexible depending on, you know, as as relationships change or issues change, but they're built on that relationship and that understanding that we're in it for the long haul together as a community.
2: Yeah, I'm curious to hear from you how you think that trust plays into voter turnout, because you've done a lot of work on voter turnout, as you mentioned earlier, that we do have a really low percent of people that come out and vote and it'd be great to have more engagement generally in in voting in particular. And I'm wondering how you see lack of trust uh, in government generally or, or skepticism about the political process playing into that voter turnout piece. And are there things, strategies that can increase turnout and keep people more civically engaged overall.
3: Yeah, and I think trust is vitally important, um, not just in terms of turnout, but just to be clear, thinking about going forward. With all the issues that are at hand right now, um, I'll get back to your voting, the voting component of your question in a moment, if you'll indulge me. But there are very real, very critical decisions that are being made every day in communities. And we know that it looks like over the next several months or several years, there'll be many critical decisions in terms of budgets, right, and, and in terms of priorities at the local level. And having that trust between all members of a, communi- of a community, it's going to be really, really critical to be able to get that input that decision makers need. So they, they can't just get the input from a few folks, right? Not only do they not have a full spectrum of data, right, and, and information from their community, but also the decisions that are made are not going to be viewed as legitimate if they don't or haven't evolved from um, an inclusive community engagement process. And trust is going to be absolutely critical. Trust in the process, so the out, that the outcomes right, were a product of everyone, but also trust to get... All the right folks at the table, right, to get everyone at the table, it's going to be critical. When it comes to voting, this is an area that we have probably have the most data when it comes to trust. And there's an understanding that probably over the last several decades that people's trust in just institutions period, our government and our elected officials, has declined. We think we're in a period that is particularly notable in terms of that decline. And we know that institutions, period, people are having, um, difficulty in, um, in trusting and in seeing as legitimate, particularly our young people. And when it comes to voting, we know that people need to feel that their vote matters. One of the biggest factors in a, in a turnout is if we have competitive elections, right? But also if people feel like they're, they're voting for something that they believe in, the fact that a candidate or a set of candidates or set of issues is actually going to be in their best interest. And I think right now we have a lot of people across the board, uh, across you know, backgrounds and racial and ethnic groups and, and even age that are having a hard time seeing our government as a place that is actually representing their needs and their interests. They see a lot of big money. You may not know a lot of the details about what's happening around campaigns, but people aren't dumb. They, they see money involved in campaigns to a big degree. And I think that has been a big factor in trust and people wanting to kind of be a part of a system. And so oftentimes people will say, I'm not going to vote because it doesn't matter. Because either one of those two candidates or or any of those issues, in the end, it doesn't matter what I think or feel. The cards are already stacked against me, whatever the exact thinking might be. But I think generally we have a real lack of of trust and buy-in in our, particularly our electoral system, and I think it's a, it is a factor in turnout to some degree. It's hard to differentiate, you know, in terms of data how that plays in, but we do hear it a lot from voters. People might maybe on a survey first say that they just didn't have time, but if you dig down a little deeper, maybe they would have had time if they had faith and believed that their vote actually mattered. Um, but if you don't think your vote, you know, counts. And it's really going to make a difference for your community and yourself and your own pocketbook, maybe. Then maybe something like having enough time or distance or being busy kind of overrides that. And I think even now in the last six, seven months at the federal level, we've heard a lot of things coming from lots of different, you know, from the the Congress, from the president, from others that I think are potentially helping to erode trust that much further. And I don't just mean policies. I mean, talk about voter fraud. Talk about Russian interference in the election, although very real. Voter fraud certainly isn't. But those kind of conversations just make people feel even more like they want to throw their hands up and they can't trust what the system is, is all about. And so I think there's a lot of us that are really concerned that we may be entering to a time that's going to be even more challenging, that we have to make sure that folks feel uh, that, that they have faith and confidence just in our democratic institutions
1: is that faith and trust in the system. I mean I think it's easy to sit back and criticize the system, we criticize the establishment, we criticize elected officials, we criticize money and politics. What I wonder about is the quality of engagement, right? So we we measure things like how many people come out to vote, but how do we know how informed people are to vote or the degree to which people are blaming the system for things that aren't really a failing of the system. They they're just well, I don't trust the system because I don't get what I want out of the system. And I and I see that there's been a lot of engagement and increase in engagement, you know, around this last set of elections. But I see the quality of the engagement really eroding. You know, during the Obama administration, you had the Tea Party folks coming out and heckling elected officials and disrupting town hall meetings. And essentially you're seeing almost the same thing on the left now, where When elected officials hold town hall meetings, people are showing up. They're holding up signs that saying "You're lying" or or whatever. Very kind of disrespectful, and really, you know, they're showing up, but they're not engaging. Do you measure that? Do you look at that? Is that an issue, or is that just my imagination?
3: Well, I I personally haven't done research on it. Um, This is all happening in very real time, right? People feeling disillusioned with their political process and not being civil in that is nothing new, but I it does seem that we're seeing a lot more of that. We're in a period that's particularly divisive and angry and many many people not wanting to talk and to compromise, not just our elected officials, but everyday folks. Right? We're seeing it in families. People don't want to talk and compromise. We're in our camps and we're really, really entrenched. I was going to say a moment ago, you know, I mentioned about we need faith in our democratic institutions is eroding and we need to figure out how to shore that up. At the same time, we have a a long tradition and a very needed one in challenging our institutions, right? As you said, we challenge, we criticize, we criticize things like money and politics. We try to cast doubt on how representative our democratic systems really are. It's not to, hopefully, to weaken them, but rather it's to strengthen them. And then that's a really important distinction. And I think for many folks that have spent, you know, dedicated their lives and their careers to try to pull back the veil to uncover these challenges and weaknesses in our, and how our democratic system functions, the last thing they want to see, right, is our democracy fall apart. Not that it is falling apart. We want people to have faith in their institutions to participate in them and then in to participate in them well to be informed, to fight, to use their voice, for everyone to be represented. And so that we have a strong electoral system, political system, civic fabric. We've never had a really strong one of any of those. And we're trying to create something that is stronger and and more in line what what I think our country was, or at least many of us hope our country was founded on and we believe our country's founded on. So I think that's an important distinction. It's To fight for a better system, not fight to tear it down, and we're at a at a tricky place right now that we have to shore up in many ways who we are as a nation, and to and hopefully have people really commit and hold on to that and believe in it. At the same time, they believe in those stronger principles, but they may still doubt our president or our Congress or their local political representative. They may doubt whether their vote really matters in the big scheme of things, but hopefully. Hopefully, they believe in the system and want to fight to make it better. I hope that's a distinction that, that is clear in our conversation today. Having a more inclusive participation of everyone in the community is absolutely critical to not only good decisions by local elected officials and policymakers, but it helps bring that trust and that belief. There are people in our country, though, that when they see conversations around inclusiveness. When they see more and more people participating, they, that is a threat. And to them, that's a threat to their country and, and their community and who they are. But um, that's not our country. And i um, kind of getting, I guess, to the, the topic at hand You know, over the weekend, the counter protesters, as they're called, the folks that came out to fight the words and, and the actions of the white supremacists and the white nationalists and the KKK members and, and the neo-Nazi members were there because they deeply, clearly believed in our country and our nation. And they were our democratic system that day, that they could assemble and they could counter protest and they could stand up to hatred. And we do that on that scale, um, as we saw over the weekend. And we do that every day by making sure that we're fighting for everyone to, to have a place at the table and to participate on whatever topic is of concern or of interest in in their own communities.
1: Do events like what happened in Charlottesville this weekend make us stronger? Do they make people appreciate the need to engage in a way that maybe they were too complacent about before?
3: I like to think it makes us stronger. I think when you see some of the images that we saw, people carrying torches and speaking hate, it probably made many of us very sad for our country in that moment. But at the same time, we also saw young and old folks from all different backgrounds, right, races, religions, come out and take a stand. And that's what we are all about and at personal risk and to, to the point that people actually were injured and one person lost their life in that crowd. So I think it makes us stronger because it reaffirms who we are and the very tenets of our democratic system in a very real way when you see people stand up and risk their lives and give their life. It helps reaffirm and hold up um, the values of this country. And then I think when you see the reaction, that's really critical. So I'm a political sociologist, so the sociological background I have, you know, we see media and we see public leaders from across the aisle speaking out and not only supporting the counter-protesters, but making it really clear what our values are in this country, and supporting acts of protest um, and counter-protest, not, you know, the counter-protest to what was happening. That's a really critical component. So in the end, when we talk about Charlotte and what happened, there's so many things to talk about there. But we did see a huge portion of this country, of our media and our leadership, and I'd like to think today when people are going to work and they're talking to their, their co-workers, That there is this overwhelmingly overwhelming response that says what happened with the neo Nazis and the white supremacists and the white nationalists was wrong, and so in a sense we're resetting boundaries and reaffirming who we are, and so we don't want to ever see those acts happen to begin with. But the positive is from that is that we hopefully have made it that much clearer what's acceptable and what isn't, and uh, the democratic process made that so that conversation that happened, right, the battle over what was happening in Charlotte, sorry, Sir Charlottesville, was real and tangible for so many people. And our democratic process made allowed that, right, ensures that that can happen. So, yeah, I'd like to think it makes us stronger.
1: Mindy, this is um, and has been such an important conversation. You know, we'd love to have you back again and talk further. Unfortunately, we're running out of time today, Kate. Any last comments or thoughts before we wrap it up? So This has been a,
2: a very powerful and inspirational conversation, Mindy. At a, a really important time, so thank you so much. I'd love to hear where we can find out more about your work.
3: Well, now that seems so trivial, right? <laughs> Considering the conversation, but um, people can go to our website, uh, ccep.ucdavis. Dot .edu. Um, they can learn about who we are and our research, and there's lots of research and publications on there that hopefully might be of help to folks that want to learn more about some of the disparities and in, in engagement in our, in our country and in our state. And then certainly I'm happy to, to field any inquiries that people want to, want to make um, my way. My contact information is on the website for anyone to access.
1: Mindy, thank you so much for being with us today, and thank you so much for all the great work that you do.
3: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And um, I hope that the podcast um, is heard by a lot of people. This is an important conversation.
1: Kate, thanks for once again, always being a great co-host. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio.
0: Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, the Local Government Commission, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at InfiniteEarthRadio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.